feel like being sick in the year of corona is gotta be not the most ideal situation for you no definitely definitely gives you anxiety that first sneeze or cough comes in you're like oh fuck um but yeah woke up a little under the weather this morning so apologies my voice is sounding really croaky i'm just gonna gonna take it easy on my voice today but um yeah no fingers crossed we're all good no rona nothing like that such a weird world my roommate went for a walk in waterloo park the other day and she was saying that like she just had to sneeze like you like you normally would like sometimes you just gotta fucking sneeze and she sneezed and everyone just like kind of stopped and stared at her she's like i swear to god i don't have corona just just move on with your day yeah and such a such an odd world I know you can feel the eyes on you when you're out in public like that. I want to get a shirt almost or something that just says like, I don't have Corona. I just like smoke a lot of bowls, you know, that's why I'm coughing right now. Um, That's probably it. Like 99% of the time, man, you should have seen what I Jimmy rigged up the other day to try to, cause I don't tell me, (laughs) don't tell me the Gatorade bottle. No, I used um, an Arizona tea bottle. Oh, that's, that's nice though. That's a, that's a little fancier than the Gatorade. I know. It was, it was a nicer shape. Yeah. Um, luckily, I had an old broken thing from my last piece. So I was, I was just able to shove that into the lid and not do some shifty shit like with a, like... No pen, no, no, no uh, little bit tool at the end of it? No. Yeah. I was able good. to use an actual thing. <laughs> yeah. Because I don't want plastic in my lungs. Exactly. Even though I, I hate, did, did it I out of a the plastic bottle. piece. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how many times I've Googled is tinfoil bad to, to do that with. And uh, yeah, we've all been there. Yeah, um, I couldn't find a lighter either, and I, I tried to ignite a spaghetti noodle, off of the stove, and that didn't work. But a spaghetti noodle. I don't and know, and I read, I read it online. <laughs> I feel like I've definitely done that in the past, but yeah, the, those are terrible. You gotta like run with the flame, try to make sure the flame doesn't go out when you're like halfway to your room. It was brutal. It didn't work. So luckily, did, did you end up getting it to work at the end? Luckily, I was I was asking around. I was like, "Yeah, later." No, and then later they're like, "Oh, actually, yes." I was like, "Oh, thank fucking thank God," because I've just spent an hour engineering this amazing apparatus out of an Arizona tea bottle, an old broken piece from yeah. my last piece, <laughs> and a milk carton, like uh, those Canadian milk cartons, the ones oh you put my the bags God. in. So. Do you still have this? Are you still using this or was it no, one no, no, and no. done? This is one and done. Okay. You put a lot of effort in for a one and done piece. I like it. I just got the energy one night. I was like, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I need to chill out. School is stressing me out. Uh, some good shit. But how weird is it that like when you're in a situation, you realize you don't have a lighter. Like that's when how like how wrong shit can go at that point. Like if you're in the middle of nowhere, one already rolled or whatever, your bowl's packed and you're like, fuck, who brought the lighter? Nobody that's it you know that, yeah the lighter is just might be like the single-handed best invention oh fuck that's what i forgot to get thought. at the grocery store the other day i got fucking milk eggs cheese butter stuff for dinner chicken i was like i gotta get a lighter too and i just forgot oh fuck me whatever i guess i'm taking a trip to the store across the street yeah sometime soon anyways um i realized from listening back to a couple of our old episodes, I kind of forgot to do the intros. So <laughs> yeah, no, I did realize it too. We dropped the intros a while ago. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully it didn't confuse people, but 
Uh, I, I don't know. Head. I kind of like it. I kind of like it. Uh, we kind of do it off at the end a little bit more, more clean. But yeah, uh, we, can, we can do it. We can do it if you want. We can introduce ourselves again. Welcome to Mythic Morons. I'm Chaney. And I'm Sid. We are back. And in this episode, this specific one that you're listening to now, we'll be doing a weekly catch up. And for right now, the weekly catch up is pretty much just a boy season two review. So um, yeah. That's the only show, new show, pretty much on right now. Well, I think. did you did you see that new show that Amazon's advertising the shit out of called Utopia? Uh, Utopia, yeah, I watched. Uh, I think two episodes of that with my with my family. I it's, was uh, I was considering. Did you watch it? Did you watch no, it? Or did you hear anything about it? No, uh, just yeah. It's it's again taking taking a, a page out of the like current trend of like doing something to, something to do with comic books. It has some. I don't think it's an adaptation from a comic book, but it's. Um, there is one of the plot devices in the show is a comic book, um, but the concept of the show is pretty interesting. If you want me to get into it a bit, uh, you know what? Let me stay surprised because I think I was gonna watch it. I just needed yeah your sort of go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, that'd be cool. That'd be uh, yeah. Like I watched the first episode. I don't know how into it I am right now, but if you watch it, then maybe we can talk about that in a in a future discussion. Sure, sounds good. Uh, but speaking of Amazon shows. Let's uh, move on to The Boys, Season 2, Episode 6, which, you know what? I'm going to say I fucking called it. I knew this was the episode that they would reveal Stormfront's plans. Spoilers ahead, everyone. Um, We can't not spoil the shit out of this. For for a bit, at least. I don't know. Um, And again, also listening back to our old episodes, I say I'm a lot, so I'm going to try to (laughs) fucking work on that. all good dude but this was an interesting episode because this kind of like our predictions from prior episodes prior discussions kind of they all came together i think beautifully in this episode like we each had a thought of where the show was gonna go um or at least we called something and it kind of it gave us a bit of that and then it's also throwing us off a bit so yeah we did get stormfront's background information and we find out she was married, I guess, to the OG Vought, who was a Nazi. Oh the, yeah, big time. Yes, and so, so the whole and I, I I like this. I like this little lore and information that we get about you know the show. Um, so Vought, the guy, the German Nazi scientist, created Compound V, the drug that it's like the superhero drug that all the superheroes have and whatever. Uh, he creates that to enhance the Nazis essentially and give them an upper hand in the war. And Stormfront is his wife and is the first superhero essentially created in this world. Yeah, first the successful. The mother of all superheroes. First successful test subject to take on Compound V yeah. without exploding or dying a horrible death. Which which actually, like, again, this is... A lot of people thought they're going to stray far from the comics. This, isn't, this is not straying far from the comics that much anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the comics, what was it? She was like a straight-up Nazi. Uh, he he was. Um, I mean, in this, I guess she is also a straight up Nazi. Yeah, she mm. is a straight up Nazi, and so was Stormfront in the comics, a straight up Nazi. But in yeah. the comics, it was Vought <coughs> created Stormfront, obviously for Hitler. Um, Hitler was then afraid of Stormfront and Vought, and tried to have them executed. But Vought fled the country with Stormfront because, like, this was his greatest creation. He was in love with him. Mm-hmm. And then they got to America and, and started Vought Industries. Um, and they take this a little further in terms of like, yeah, he really was in love with his 
first successful test subject, this yeah. being Stormfront. Yes, yeah, so they stayed true a bit to that origin, which is cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, going as far as to marry his yeah. greatest creation, um, but still eventually fleeing the country back to Vought, or back to America and um, starting Vought Industries. So Right. So, and yeah, so it's it's basically, this is like Vought's whole thing is to create... Well, I, this was a bit unclear. Is this like Stormfront's plan that she's describing, or is this the entirety of Vought's big like conspiracy plan at the end of the day? I think this is Vought's original vision. Obviously, yes. The yeah, Vought- I think I think is that too. But where the company is at today, run by uh, John Carlo Esposito's character, yeah, um, is he also in on the plan? That's what I'm wondering. I don't think too. so. I don't right. think so. Because that would so be that would be really weird, right? Yeah, because she hates black people. Yeah, right. So a couple episodes ago, it's revealed that Stormfront's like a straight up racist, right? She kills um, the black teenager in in the flashback. And um, she also kills the... train a lot. She, yeah, she does that. And she kills the Chinese guy and calls him yellow, like pretty racist. Not trying to sugarcoat things there. And and, um, in this episode, she's basically... See, like this is what when I was saying... I think she's far scarier than Homelander in the scene when she's detailing to Homelander her entire flashback. She's essentially coming true to him because in this episode, Homelander starts to lose trust for Stormfront. She's sneaking around and going around his back and stuff like that. And when she tells him the truth, um, I started to think, I started to put myself a bit in the character of Homelander shoes because uh, as always, like great performance by the actor who plays Homelander. But there was like a bit of I don't know what exactly like the look he was kind of portraying. I'm gonna try and find it, but it's almost like he is like fearful of the information that he's getting. Like he doesn't know really what to do with it. Like he's just finding out that this woman is a Nazi and married to the Nazis, and that this was Vought's whole plan. And he finds out what his role in the in the whole Vought plan is, uh, or in her plan, I guess, which is to be the leader of this this superior race her words not mine and and he very much embodies that kind of nazi uh nazi look i guess you know the um yeah the aryan superman a literal, yeah, literal exactly. aryan superman blonde hair blue eyes tall handsome and a literal superman so so she's can, she, yeah no, you can on. see why stormfront has the hots for him in this case and yeah i just want to add by the way like she is the ultimate gilf because she Grandma, was born... You're talking about grandmas. Yeah. Yeah. Because she was born in the 1910s, I Yeah, believe. I guess so. So when she showed that picture of the grandmother, I first thought... Um, I first thought that was like Homeland's grandma or something like that. And then uh, he was like, no, that, she's like, no, that's my... That? I I don't know. I don't know. I, that's the first place my head went. And then she's like, no, that's my daughter. And I was like, did this guy just fuck his great grandmother? Oh my okay, god! But no, and here's I'm... the thing. Here's the weird thing from from the comics. Yeah, Homelander is a product of Stormfront. He's cloned and modified from Stormfront. Oh, did we ever? We never find out much about his origins in the show yet, do we? Like, we get a no, bit of a flashback. Was, was, we don't um, find out his family type of thing. There was a mini so. short they put on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. Well showing him going through testing as a kid shit bro i wonder if they if they pulled the rug again underneath and they're like there's some familial ties here 
I don't no, know if they'll go the that thing. route. It, they, I don't know no, if they'll go no, that route. No, I it's do been, think they'll go that route. You think so? It fucking doubles down uh, on this Oedipus complex, bro. Yeah, man. But that's like that's not that's like tripling down on it. He already went down on her. So even, better. Even, even better. Even better. Even better. Oh, also. Yeah, this show's weird, man. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to know what's weird. <laughs> Homelander and Stormfront fucking in a back alley and taking the person oh. they just murdered's blood and rubbing it in each other's mouths <laughs> as they're swapping spit French kissing. <laughs> Yeah, you want to talk about way to top a show. yeah top the sex scene from the last episode. So this is the first five minutes of the show. It's like if you, in case you forgot where we where we were, like here we are, and and it immediately kind of frightens you. Like okay, yeah, here's these quote unquote superheroes trying to save the day, and even the guy that they're stopping, the the thief who's like just some regular like thief with no superpowers, he's like yeah, can you guys just take me to the hospital? Like you, you're the superheroes. He's like yeah, but you know we're not gonna do that. And they just homelander just squashes his face into the into the wall and yeah i'm freeze framing right now where they're exchanging saliva it's it's uh, it's quite amazing weird scene <laughs> how this show is able to sort of blend in and and twist comedy and violence in such an effective way because i'm just yeah, it's smiling constantly the doing that i'm smiling while this guy's getting his head caved in yeah i don't know why it's a horrible it's, thing to see it's but. unsettling but it's funny like you said uh and it yeah the show i don't know how they do it they they perfectly kind of they hit that uh they hit that fine line you know that that like they're not going too much into the absurd but it still makes you want to laugh like it's gruesome enough um where it's like you know it could be off-putting to some people but like you said you want to laugh in these kind of scenes which is it, it might just come down to characters at that point the characters are just really great you know oh yeah no Home- homelander is just always uh such a presence like as, as we talked about so much just a presence on screen mm-hmm. and acted to to perfection and the his mannerisms are such a unique character in a way it's i've never seen a character like this before i don't know i don't I really have never seen a character like Homelander before, which is why he's still my favorite and why I still think he'll be the big bad at the end of the day. Because they kind of yeah. tease that throughout the show on how how things can just swiftly change. And yeah, Stormfront's sort of holding him on by now. To me, but it I seems st- like Stormfront might might be controlling him. In a, it, like it, The control is, the manipulation is becoming more strong, as this episode kind of showed us. Right, like he in that last scene when, uh, like right before they start going at it, and like that that's supposed to signify like now really be scared for episode seven. Like he knows everything and he is down with it. He's down with this plan, essentially this racist plan of um, which is see like that's like he is now gone from a character with like lack of empathy for humans to to like that kind of agreeing with that kind of an ideology which is dangerous you know it's like both are dangerous but that's what makes me find stormfront even more dangerous because she has a literal plan in motion so to see how that unfolds now with homelander um it 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 made me kind of scared towards that end i was like damn i really wish this is like a not not wish like i hope anything goes different than the way it did but it it had me feeling for the scene and the characters like i wonder if homelander I wonder if this is a development moment for his character. Like, is he going to turn, is he going to turn face like back to the wrestling term, but is he going to become a face character now? You know, is he, is this his moment to like kind of go on a different path, but it wasn't evidently. So, um, yeah, it, what it sets up now is an even more 
kind of uh, a brutal confrontation between the boys who, who have no thing, idea though. what this is about still. Here's the thing, though. Like, mm-hmm. Homelander as a character sort of has that Christopher Nolan Joker complex. Whereas... You think so? Okay, yeah. I can see that a bit, maybe. Whereas Stormfront... He is a psychopath, yeah. Where Stormfront has a plan, Homelander never had a plan. He yeah. just does things. Yeah. You know? Um, as said by the Joker in that great monologue. But that's why I think... I still think he's going to betray Stormfront or Stormfront's going to betray him and he's going to end up rising yeah. above that and, and being thrusted into an even bigger villain role. Yeah, and I like that, that idea of seeing him do the betrayal. That would be cool. Yeah, and him sort of thrusting himself into... A bigger bigger position there. Yeah, Stormfront being some sort of launching pad for him to up the ante even more, raising the stakes yeah. even more. And the stakes have been raised, respectfully. For but sure, I feel like for sure. an unhinged Homelander carrying out Stormfront's plan without Stormfront around would be... Even, not even, not yeah. that I hate Stormfront. I do like the character now. No, but I know what you mean. That's almost like letting the dog on the loose, letting the wild, rabid animal kind of just letting him do his thing. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah. where I think it's still going, which is great because I do want Homelander to always be the big bad. Because I I I eventually when his when he gets his inevitable fall, it'll be great to see that. You yeah. Know, he's been built up for. I don't know how many seasons they're going to do, but let's say he gets built up for like three seasons and then they're able to finally take him down in the fourth or fifth. And I don't know. I feel like that's that's the way to go. But we'll see. Um, we'll see if Stormfront sort of sticks around and they become this unstoppable duo, which again mm-hmm. raises the stakes. But So still- they just, um, I just read right now, actually, they just made a, a trailer for episode seven of so the next episode of The Boys. And... It, I'm going to watch it in full after, and we can... No point in talking about it after, but... It shows him introducing Stormfront to his son. And it's like a teaser of that interaction. So that's going to be the next episode. Goodness me. I, f- I actually yeah. totally forgot about that plot line. Well, dude, this is this is what I kept saying. Don't forget about the kid, bro. That guy is little Homelander Jr. He has more morals than the guy. But right, like, now... For now. For now and that, that's what I'm saying. Now he's got... He's got a potential motherly figure in his life that can raise this, right? Like, Homelander's whole thing in this season that we've seen is he just wants to have a father-son relationship. As weird as to him that that is, to him, he is less alone as a god when he's around his son because his son shares those powers, I guess. And now with Stormfront, who is just as evil or more evil, we don't know yet, um, for him, it's going to set up this, like, idea in his head of having a family i think so his psychological issues aren't wrapped up i think there's there's an unpredictability to this character that's always going to be there like who knows if he's going to continue teaming up with stormfront you know like i'm almost thinking now that his big like like you you've been saying this it's she might end up being his biggest obstacle you know yeah M- maybe if he sort of introduces her to his son and then she sort of is not really fully on board with the idea but kind of like tags along for a while until mm-hmm. you kind of get that becca butcher dynamic where butcher mm. doesn't care about the kid mm. but becca does yeah but you can kind of reverse that more 
more sort of comparisons with Homelander and Butcher, which was brought yeah. up in this episode by Starlight. Yeah, um, yeah. I like. I really like that too. If we get into that later, I like yeah. the uh, time spent with those two. Yeah. Um. So if Homelander cares, but then Stormfront's not ultimately down with it, then maybe that will lead to it. I don't know. I'm just mm-hmm. making up shit now. I I did. Yeah. I'm. I'm. You know. Ever since I called the whole plan thing, I think I'm pretty in tune or i'm getting cocky with it i don't know one of the two but that and that's when they that's when they'll throw you for a loop it's like oh you thought you had it figured out eh there you go well, yeah exactly but, real quick though i want to i want to do um throw something in there what did you think of the lamplighter appearance and the irony that the fact that the guy who plays lamplighter is the guy that plays Iceman and x-men yeah the irony <laughs> how fucking sick is that bro the irony isn't lost on me and he did a great job. Yeah. I, What's the actor's name again? I honestly um, forget. You guys going to hear my clicky keyboards again? I know you love it. Um, Sam something? Sam something? I didn't expect to get the full confrontation between him and Frenchie this episode. Which, oh, that was, yeah. So that was like unresolved conflict from season one. Yeah, that was I, I was really there. surprised. I thought it'd be like a drop storyline, potentially. Yeah. Turns out, no. Turns yeah. out... So, yeah, no, uh, his name is Sean Ashmore. I just want to throw that in there, but go on. Oh, yeah. Turns out, no. Turns out they are hearkening back to small tidbits that were brought up during season one, which is great. It was great, and I like how we, we got flashbacks into, um, like, I think it was like years prior to... Frenchie's like, origin. Uh, Frenchie's origins. It's like the group dynamic between Butcher, Frenchie, um, the CIA agent, whoever they're fucking with. I forget her name. Um, and Mother's Milk. Yeah, and Mother's Milk. And, and yeah, just seeing them all uh, all like associated together before all this shit kind of hit the fan. And, and then you see the root of Frenchie's, like his problems, like his guilt, like where that all kind of is driven from. And I've been saying this like for a while. Frenchie's definitely one of my favorite characters in the show, and like this episode took it up to another level for me. Like he had a line where he he said like to Mother's Milk is uh, like, "What makes you think I want to forget that pain? Like what makes you like for him? <clears throat> it's it's not forgiveness. It's what he's looking for. He's constantly like reminding himself of the time where he fucked up and his own like flaws, his own flaws or whatever." And so, like, that has become his motivation to do good or be good, be better. Um, and then you see that reflected in Lamplighter, which is I thought was really interesting. They showed, like, that this guy who is almost fucked up, you know, like, he, he his whole thing was, like, he burned, he killed a bunch of kids. Um, that's what it refer, his story refers to. But he also has that same guilt for those actions. And that that is his torment in, in, in the world or something. Like he's yeah. tormenting himself by that. It's, so it's there was a like reflection an interesting, of Frenchie. He's a reflection of Frenchie, and they, yeah, it was interesting to see them kind of go one and off each other, and like just see that kind of reflection, and in, in, from a hero to a villain, you know, like where in in the kind of like character wise of the show, like Frenchie is a hero, but in if you look at it from another perspective, like the seven. The Homelander, all those guys, Lamplighter even, they're the heroes, quote-unquote heroes. And what this show, I think, does really well is kind of, it's all about that gray area between heroes and villains, good guys and bad guys. Like, 
I think that's the whole exploration of the show is like, well, those are just terms at the end of the end of the day, like what these people do and what their actions that define them is like kind of more of what they're interested in. So to see a villain be driven by guilt is something that you're not really often seeing. And yeah, just the fact that this guy is the guy that played Iceman too. And in this show, he has fire powers. Like that was pretty cool, man. It's pretty dope. I do want to acknowledge like the acting done by both guys um, during the med bay scene when they're camped yeah. out in the medical bay. Like crazy good confrontation. Mm-hmm. Like something you've heard about in in passing for the past season and a half. And it finally uh, culminates here, which was, you know, and you get both perspectives like, you know, I'm guilty because of this reason and I'm guilty because of this reason. And like both of them... Mm-hmm. Have sort of been put on this path from one night where they both fucked up in a tremendous way and it's haunted them ever since and for them to sort of coincide and relate with each other eventually because of that and then Frenchie choosing to spare his life at the end that choice despite wanting him dead so bad that he almost fucked up the entire operation mm-hmm. um was great it was a great little arc for for frenchie and yeah frenchie is definitely one of my favorite characters and this propelled him even further and it also wrapped up that little short plot line throughout the second season of him and kimiko where he sort of reconciles with the fact that the only reason he was helping her was because he's trying to fix his sins of the past and with this sin sort of being resolved in this way he came to realize hey like he never asked for help so i don't actually need to help you and he's that was a great that was a great little exchange and she pulls it off so great because she never has any lines but she's just like she's just taking it as as he's saying it to her and amazing uh, actress amazing yeah character with no lines dude you know what she's from you know what she's from in movies she played she played katana from suicide squad you're kidding me yeah you mean that character that got like a 30 second explanation dump yeah no exactly so yeah. Like just don't fuck with this girl and her sword, and pretty much plays the same role, which is a non-talking Asian. So she kind of got typecasted a little bit there, but um, yeah, great actress. Like she actually shows she shows um a lot, a lot of pain, a lot of emotion just through her eyes, and like, yeah, great interaction between her and Frenchie, where he's also realizing, yeah, this girl never wanted my help. Like you know, I I don't have to put myself in those situations. Um, I do want to point out one thing from the hospital scene, um, which is, I, I learned it, it was a reference, but, um, oh, the, the guy with the, the massive dick as a, a superpower. Oh my God. That's an actual oh character my. in the comics. Yeah. yeah I, I read about that after too, weirdly enough, why, why, why I was interested in seeing where that was based from, but like, what a fucking, <laughs> what a scene, bro. And Frenchie's line, like when it gets wrapped around Mother's Look, he's like, that guy was, that was that guy's dick. And Frenchie's like, don't be so close-minded. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was a great line. Yeah. Don't be so close-minded. Yeah. yeah. That was great. And um, yeah, again, the whole thing with, with like, there's no holds barred on this show. First, in the last episode, we get to see Bush. In this episode, we get to see it like, like actual foreskin. Like they, they weren't fucking around, bro. Yeah, well, the guy's not Jewish, that's for sure. He's actually He's Russian. He's not Jewish. He mu- must be. Must be Russian. Did you not see the the illustration of him in the comics is so funny. He's just like He a, had the he had the Russian insignia on him in the comics. Yeah, like the he, the communist. 
yes. flag. Yeah, and his and his name is Love Sausage, which is <laughs> amazing. But um, apparently, a, a lot of those characters um, in the cells were just one-off references to other characters in the show. Yeah, which, which I, is that's what I was thinking. Cool. It, so we get that we get a glimpse of um, probably maybe the most like besides Homelander, probably one of the most powerful super soups in in the show which is um what the fuck was her name man allison or something like it yeah, was, i uh, think it was alice or something like that yeah something, something like that and something creepy she basically has the force man she basically just has the force and and just crushes things with her mind you know um which is ambiguous the way they let her story just kind of trail off at the end there like it's making you think like yeah she's gonna come back somewhere in 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 the end of this series maybe or in the next season or something but like what what is almost meant to be kind of like a one-off character leaves you with like a little a little like oh what's her story gonna be at the end you know like she her story is not over i feel Um, like it's not gonna be big i feel like it might i'd be really disappointed if she's like the one that kills homelander like out of nowhere just because she's powerful no they wouldn't they just throw her in there i hope not that'd be that'd be really sucky they wouldn't do that i think she's just dirty She's gonna do. She's gonna cause some inciting incident that's going to make Vought look bad and further the plot mm. and sort of allow right the boys now, to get another get another claw in the back of their victim yeah. as they're slowly taking it apart. I mean, story wise, this episode kind of pushed things to another level. Where so they infiltrated this, um, I guess like hospital. It was an asylum. No, it wasn't a hospital. It was yeah, an asylum. It was like a testing of disguised as an tests. asylum where they conducted tests on these on their on these soup terrorists essentially um it's where they would Vought conducted these tests and, and would give them compound v so when she when alice or whatever she escapes she lets everybody else also escape so there's well, we don't know for sure but we can assume there's enough super powered uh you know random super powered people who are coming out of Vought being tested on and all that shit and now they're just running loose so i don't think it was what, soup terrorists i think it's actually worse. they weren't soup terrorists no no what they never even said i from my interpretation because i just might not have heard it clearly it was like just random people being tested on to become terrorists or something like the, the, they weren't already terrorists they were just regular people being tested on the institution was set up as an asylum so what happens is people would get you know diagnosed as insane and sent to an asylum mm-hmm. and then Vought would test normal people um, with compound V with compound V to try to stabilize it so it would work in adults. So that means they were taking mentally ill people and just experimenting them, experimenting them on like lab rats. So who knows how many people died out of there? And mm-hmm. as yeah. Lamplighter says, like he was just there to burn the evidence, sort of against his will. Like what a life to live now, Jesus. Yeah. But I don't know if it's Vaughn doing this. I feel like it's just Stormfront doing this. Yeah, I'm. Th- this has become a pretty big question um, for, for to be resolved in the future, where it's like, well, where's the line between Stormfront and Vaughn? Because Stormfront or Vought, like the CEOs or the board of directors and Vaughn were the guys that brought Stormfront in in the beginning of the season. So. No, I th- I feel like because she's married to Vought, she has one of the highest political standings in all of Vought. Sure. And she yeah. inserted herself. 
I could, yeah. I, but there is a, no, there's, there was a clear kind of connection there because, um, remember in like, I think it was episode one or two, or I think it must've been one where when Homelander confronts, uh, Giancarlo Esposito's character and is like, like what I'm like the sh- head of the show here. Like, don't try and piss me off. Otherwise if I walk, then you have nothing. And, um, basically threatening him, trying to, trying to overpower him. And he's just there was like no like you're not threatening me i already got i got my next person down there ready to take your spot and he refers to stormfront uh so like to me in that earlier part of the season it felt like he's almost like this is gonna be homelander going against Vought corporation and stormfront is his ace in the card but like they completely didn't go in that direction at all it's more like this is stormfront's plan um and homelander is her ace in the ace card ace in the whole whatever but like they've kind of just ditched the whole Vought Corporation at this point, kind of off to the side for now. We'll uh, see how that kind of comes back in. I did in think the about that episodes. scene, but I feel like he he never like explicitly mentions that he put her in there. He just said, "I don't have to talk to you about other business." And I think he's just trying to cover the up the fact that that's true. It could be she, yeah. Could she be was Vought's wife, and he does explicitly mm. mention it could be a throw, the original like, Vought throw, himself. Yeah. It could be to throw off the audience. So he may also. even be powerful, sorry, powerless against Stormfront's influence. Stormfront. Like she just kind of does right. what she wants because you know the higher like the whole know. board, the whole board is actually just a puppet, kind of like a a front. Like she's the she's running the plan inside and out, and the the board is acting on her, uh, on her command or something. Could yeah. be that. So like the high ups might that. know that she's Vought's wife, so that she gets real political power in the system. Mm-hmm but also is carrying out this plan for a master race under their nose. Yeah. So Yeah. What did you think of them going that direction? Like this is the whole this is the whole story is essentially revealed to us in this episode. Hmm. I don't know if it's the whole story. Not though I don't want to see the whole story, but we get a bigger scope of the story at least right now. Yeah. We definitely yeah, we don't get... have the entire story, but we get a we get a, a better perspective maybe on it. No, it's I, I love it. I, I feel like it's great um, how this corporate entity is sort of just a front for this Nazi who's been waiting in the shadows for so long mm-hmm. to eventually pick her time and and choose when to enact this, this evil plan to create a master race of superhumans and carry out a race war. So yeah. it's uh, it's crazy. But it's crazy. It's, yeah. It's if this if this show shows us anything, it's that of course it's gonna be crazy. So I'm all yeah. I'm all aboard. It's ballsy. It's like uh, like this show is for sure a ballsy show. But it's like um, when I when I saw that kind of reveal happen, it was I got excited. I was like, yes, like this show is real as fuck for kind of going that direction. Like not not trying to be PC or woke in the way like. You know, other shows kind of do that where it's like, yeah, let's try to take a political issue that's current in today's society, something that is uh, kind of has both sides talking about it and whatever. And this show is more like, let's just tell let's tell a story here where we're, we're referencing a lot of the real world so you can see parallels, but it's not it's not making it's, it doesn't have an agenda behind it, really. It's not trying to come forth on an agenda. It's just trying to show through the superhero genre through the tropes and not even just like the genre but like kind of pop culture tropes in the world like today like we 
we've made the connection to how Vought can be seen as like a Disney kind of corporation or like the Marvel Studios corporation and you can make those parallels and there's plenty of that in the show so it's cool like it's I don't want to keep saying cool but it's kind of the prerogative of the show to just constantly parallel the real world almost parodying it I, I is that is that the right word is it parodying or sad I think it's, might be the right word I think it's, it's just, almost like I think it's more commentary comment yeah I'm, I'm gonna google what the difference is between satire and parody but yeah it is a commentary for sure too it's it's commenting on on all that um regardless i hope it's the the irony isn't lost on you that this show about evil corporations is produced by amazon yeah <laughs> which is hilarious in my mind but um other things that happened in this episode that were kind of prominent i guess we could talk about that um butcher annie and um how am i forgetting this character's name goodness me huey, huey. yeah huey fuck i was like who the fuck are you talking about i'm like yeah huey was the only other guy on the on the trip i'm an yeah. idiot anyways <laughs> Uh, any butcher. Poor Huey, bro. Huey's constantly forgot about. Just the re- normal fucking lovable Huey. Um, Huey but, gets a shit beaten out of him in this episode. Yeah. Not beaten out of him, but he gets a shit... He gets his shit rocked. Yeah. yeah. So... I love that. I love the reaction. So he, the car flips. Huey's impaled by some something. Like, that was just a weird scene. A little weird interaction. But they all, like, immediately Stormfront and Butcher are like, Oh, no, Huey! Not, oh, God, not, go check on him. Not Stormfront. Not Stormfront. Sorry, Starlight. <laughs> that, that would be a weird twist. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, sorry to confuse people there, but no. Star. St- I'm gonna mess it up again. Starlight. Um, and both of them were, or St- Starlight and Butcher were concerned at like they were, and I think before that they were talking about Huey like, like he was their pet almost. You know, like I thought that was a pretty funny conversation. Um, uh, but it was like that, wholesome at the same time. It wasn't. It wasn't. Was it before that? No, no. Like, I just want to like sort of walk into it where this yeah. episode is sort of Butcher reconciling with um, his hate for soups and sort of growing in that aspect. As we talked about, like this is something that his character needs to do mm-hmm. earlier in the season, and now he's sort of doing it with Starlight, where he's sort of being proved wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's really good, um, and Starlight is realizing more and more how she is not the innocent girl next door anymore yeah she's you know she's a horrible person kind of not really but you know what i mean she's well she comes to terms with like she comes to terms with that side of her which is like okay hero isn't as clear cut out as she might have thought in yeah. like season one right like her Perfectly arc is said. really fantastic because when you see her in season one as like this just like obsessing over the idea of a superhero team and being a part of it and now where where she is and how she's grown a part of that it's like it's completely two different characters and in this episode she really comes to terms like truly dark knight style where she's like look dude me and you are not the same like because so the context of this the the conversation they had was she uses her powers against a civilian uh in order to get the his car like literally to boost the guy's car and so that they could take Huey to the hospital. And initially it was going to be uh, butchered that was like trying to shoot him and like steal the car or whatever. 
which you would have expected, which is in line with, with Butcher's character. Um, but it's Starlight who does what is necessary in that moment. And she kind of recognizes that, like, yeah, like, I have to do what's necessary. And I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have cried if I killed that guy in that situation because there was something serious going on. But then at the end of it, she's like, but I'm not you, Butcher. I'm not as careless as you are towards people, you know? So it was eye-opening for Butcher. And at the same time, it was kind of, it was, it, it you know, the line from, um, the Dark Knight, um, you either live long enough to, to, to see yourself as a hero or you die uh, as the villain, right? Something like that. Well, I, th- I think you butchered that. I think it's you either... Did I? You live long enough to be the villain you either die seeing yourself the hero. Die a hero or live long yeah. enough to see yourself become the villain. That's it. I did butcher it. Yes. <laughs> so that sh- it's it's a beautiful line from a beautiful movie. It's that kind of reiteration of that um, where it's it's more complicated. Like it's, it's, I'm trying to read into it maybe far too much, but it's just like this gray area where the show is exploring constantly of, of what it means to do good or do bad. You know, you know what I mean? Right. It's It's, bigger than there's a bad guy and there's a good guy now. Exactly. Perfectly said. You're going to have to do things that aren't necessarily morally defendable. Morally right. In order to carry out something that is in of itself morally right. And that is, taking down corporations yeah so in her realizing that yeah it's it's a complete loop to who she was in season one that bright-eyed small town girl mm-hmm. getting to big fame and thinking so naively what heroes are is what she's been fed since yeah. she was a kid so yeah her realizing that now is great and butcher acknowledging that and her almost hating that she related to him yeah but it's also like holding up a mirror it's also like holding up a mirror to butcher it's like it's like a moment where uh kind of calling butcher out you know and just being like you're an asshole like you're you're not a good guy like we like you because you're funny and you're a protagonist of this show but like all throughout this season you know especially i've just been getting not great vibes from butcher like don't get me wrong i love the character i love the performance but it's like, yeah, he's being more douchier. He's much colder in this season, you know? He's much he was more at, He was at first, but he's sort of coming around now. He's, yeah, well... He since since that Black Noir episode. Still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, since his low point as a character in the hero's journey, that sort of pseudo-death that he had, um, and now he's I th- being... I think you said it. Metamorph- yeah, his arc is... Metamorphically... Meta- not a metamorph... Metaphorically... Hmm. being resurrected as a new character who's going to hmm. be better than the old butcher down with soups like you'll, you'll be cool with him and i think like that's you said it that's going to be his arc which is shown through starlight like in this discussion you know it's like you gotta open up to, to people like me you know essentially like if you it, even becker said the same thing if you want to be with me then you gotta be okay with the kid which is not so this is part of his whole his whole journey is to be okay with different people, you know? Mm-hmm. And furthering um, that earlier um, discussion that was brought up from earlier episodes about Huey being that canary, his sort of new yeah. Lenny, that character that balances him out. And yeah, Butcher needs a character like that. And Butcher realizing that in this episode, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, both of the characters do. Uh, they both recognize that Huey is too good for the both of them. 
Yeah. Like, what would they do without Huey, right? Yeah. Which is true, because yeah. S- Starlight sort of needs him to... Well, I don't know. I'm trying to think. Now, i got to think this through. What does Starlight need I Huey think, for? So th- like, it's not outright kind of shown yet what, like, what would Starlight be like without Huey? But I think it's implied that if she didn't have Huey, she would get lost in this whole superhero sauce like she just become you can see it like how she how her character kind of uh like her superhero character who she plays in the seven how that transforms from season one to two she's more in the beginning of this season she's more with Vought. like she's more a part of the seven and the Vought and their whole their whole propaganda right like she's she's doing movies she's doing interviews and book signings and She's wearing a skimpy superhero outfit and she's down with all that. She's like, yeah, yeah, I'll play my role in this propaganda scheme. And later on, you know, when when she she and Huey like together sync Vought, essentially, like it was Huey at, as the catalyst for her to be to go against Vought. You know, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I think so, you're I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, I think Huey is that kind of that real slice of humanity where he's just the regular Joe. He's just a regular human no superpowers nothing like that he's not good or bad like how this show is kind of all about that like he is just the regular guy and he's very passive all these passive yes very gets, passive in this he in gets this episode especially yeah. he gets um, he gets yeah. brought along for the ride a lot like he has yeah. really no choice anymore about what he does obviously he wants to take down thought because that's just right. sort of the life that's been displayed to him and like if he didn't do that then he'd have no meaning and they wouldn't really yeah. be a character and like you know as humans that's part of his arc i think which is yeah. like to take action on those things where remember in season one he's kind of like his dad's like oh huey you're not you're not that guy like just you're not a fighter. okay you're not a fighter you just take that money Vought's gonna give you and be a pussy you know it's fine like that's how this guy was raised this is like him going against his upbringing and saying no i'm gonna fight the big guy you know as as the small guy i'm gonna fight god i'm gonna fight disney and the big corporations and it's a really cool story i think it's a really cool little man story of taking on the world and another thing another point that i just don't want to get too lost on about this whole show is how kind of um how the show kind of deals with uh like pop culture and and propaganda i should say how it uses pop culture as its propaganda and again like how the show is constantly paralleling the real world like it makes me almost realize it like in, in the world we live in today, you know, like when you see any other character in this show that's not the main characters, um, and they're all like, Oh yeah, it's the seven and it's all great and they're homelanders here and to save the day and they're all buying into this this game, this this propaganda machine, right? They're all like they have no idea the true complexities. And even when this whole compound V information gets leaked like nothing changes there's there's yeah there's people protesting they're protesting with stormfront like this is like it's it's a good commentary of how um like the kind of propaganda in the world works but how especially it's like pop culture is like one of those devices of propaganda in today's world you know i find it really interesting that stormfront is displayed early on as like this super pc social media presence that organizes protests for social justice and all this but in reality is a literal nazi literally so yeah with a huge political agenda she's yeah i mean read into it how you will as an audience but it's 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 there it it, it kind of speaks to the to the 
dangers of social media of, of these massive followings like you can't just sure. follow blindly or even you gotta you gotta, you gotta even, step back even sorry i don't want to keep stepping on each other's feet there yeah exactly like you just said but also um like the idea of these leaders that we follow right these um these kind of charismatic leaders and uh, this just gets me more amped for dune because i've been watching a lot of youtube videos on dune and stuff and this is kind of what dune the the books are about Dude. thematically and and so this is now the show is hitting on i think which is a really really important storytelling kind of story or, or type of story which is the idea that these kind of leaders that draw us in with their charisma with their um like how stormfront did in the beginning she's really connecting with the people of today she tells homelander i have soldiers you have fans like which is look at how the people are rallying for her and she's speaking the language of the people um so it's it's constantly hammering down this point like we need to be careful for these people that we put in power but whether it's a corporation whether it's a person and a celebrity uh uh you know superhero whatever it's like keep an eye out for those kind of people i think it's a really uh important and beautiful storytelling theme mm -hmm. well i think we touched upon all the main points in the episode pretty well um mm. i that's just a great episode i thought it's really ramping up. I'm really excited for episode seven. Yeah. what? This ends at episode eight, right? So we got two more episodes? Yeah. So some big shit's going to go down. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, but also sort of riffing off something you said. Um, I'm so glad you made me watch 2049 and the Dune trailer came out like a week prior. Mm -hmm. And you just talking about Dune, I was just like, oh, man. Dune's gonna be so big, and like the hype yeah. train for me is already starting to leave the station. Yeah, the steam. I think because now you've you've yeah the steam is good. the the train is rolling. It's on the track is uh the it's, train start, is it's starting on the to track, go. Eh? It's starting to go. We're we're, we're, yeah. get, we're getting out of the we're station. We're catching momentum. Yeah, you're, you're getting a couple of views out there. Dude, Dune momentum. could be big, man. Yeah, man. I I put this on our Instagram, like, and I don't mean to uh, throw any shade at any other franchises, but I f I think this could be the kickoff for like the new star wars kind of level of a franchise you know i wouldn't necessarily um, i don't want to say like this is the next star wars or anything like that but like this has like i think we talked about this once i don't know if it was on the podcast or not but like this is gonna be for s some people like the, their lord of the rings with with what dude yeah. is I know you've never That's watched Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not blind to the cultural impact, though, for sure. On, on like that, it's had to people, um, which is different from Star Wars. And I think, yeah, that's a really good point. It I think it's. I think it's more comparable. The Lord of the Rings. Yeah, it's more comparable yeah, to Lord of the yeah. Rings because, like, you have this long-standing classic novel. Yeah. That influential, influentially classic. In, and, like and hugely influential. Being the root, being the root of stories itself of, yeah. of many kinds of stories, right? Yeah, and Dune um, was that for. for plethora of sci-fi um yeah so for it to finally get like a serious adaptation um, yeah is... it's i've been i've been really and I'm, I'm excited that you're also now getting excited and like kind of that confidence is in you about the movie because you've seen villeneuve's work right like for 2049 really sets you up for dune and like what what this guy can pull off with with uh showing off different worlds showing off scale showing off like a beautiful cinematography with production design and like just how that all melts together and like even the trailer just gives you a glimpse of that but you're like this is some otherworldly shit that we can watch and uh yeah dune's gonna be insane i, Here's the I, thing I about just watched a doc yeah 2049 i could feel the love you know what i mean mm. 
Yeah. I could feel the respect. This guy respects the source material. He loves it, man. He's just to hear him talking about it in any interview. He's like, uh, Dune is like the fucking, it's like a flower that I held when I was a kid. Like, that's how he talks about shit. You know, he's French, but yeah. like stereotypically French almost. Like, nah, no, no, just to Denis. But he's like, he, he talks like a French romantic about Dune and, and Blade Runner. Like, when you hear him talk about it, he's like, it, it sounds like a fan is actually making a movie about something you know it's like you got the right person for the job here you didn't get jj abrams making star wars again yeah he's canadian isn't he yes yeah from quebec so he doesn't sound like a typical quebecer no offense to quebecers where do he sound like these not like Uh, this no he sounded more like the first one he's he's french canadian so he doesn't have the french like france french accent oh maybe he's just one of those high class montreal guys a little bit a little bit of yeah you know french or the french love you guys love the poutine i like but, poutine uh, i don't know about actually i've never been to quebec i'm sure they're lovely people <laughs> so i hate you but i'm never going to your country i've never been there my my country it's a province although they'd like it to be their country i don't know my father yeah, my father my had strong opinions about quebecers yeah completely butchered that point sorry quebec you guys aren't a country let's remind you of that again yeah um but yeah no don't even try it again (laughs) don't try it i just also this is part of our weekly catch-up i watched a documentary on so this is like completely this might be news to you might be news to a lot of people so in the 70s two years before star wars came out the original star wars um this guy named alejandro yodoreski um, I think that's how you say his last name, Yodorovsky, something like that. He's, um, I think, like a Chilean filmmaker. Um, and he tried to adapt Dune. He tried to be the first filmmaker before David Lynch to adapt Dune. Um, and it do? never got made. Oh. It, well, it never got made. But there's a documentary on it called Yodorovsky's Dune, which essentially he he got as far as to like weeks before filming. So everything was done storyboard wise casting wise crew setting up like i mean production design concept art like that was all done so this guy has an insane book essentially outlining and detailing what his dune movie would have been um so i watched that documentary just kind of going in about it and really fascinating really interesting kind of filmmaker and and his concept of wanting to make essentially he recognized dune as a book to be kind of like a metamorphosis for young people and youth like it was like a cultural culturally significant book in literature and he you know call him pretentious call it whatever as a filmmaker he wanted to do the same thing he's like i really want to evolve young people and change how young people think through film and and dune's gonna be that that film dune's gonna be the the most impactful movie like this is his words like he was before making the movie he genuinely felt like i'm gonna go and i'm gonna make the most influential movie of all time and the movie never got made and like this tore him apart and shit Um, yeah but it's and it's interesting he's like star wars comes out like two years after that i found if i found it interesting that this like filmmaker who is in my opinion a little like full of himself like he's a smart guy i think like i read his wikipedia page He's apparently like a philosopher, a guru, a writer, like come up, came up with like a bunch of philosophies and shit. So he must be well read. But like the way this guy kind of was like, yeah, I'm going to make the most influential movie of all time and nobody's going to be able to do it. And he's like in today, he's still alive. He criticized um, 
what's the name Denis Villeneuve's dude like he just by seeing the trailer he's like oh this looks like a very boring movie like you know Yikes, and, and like man that's not a good look it's not a good look man it's like yeah you didn't get your movie made but don't be throwing shade at the guy trying to get the movie made you know Listen, like, I have a hard time I don't want to rip on the guy but I have a hard time taking anyone seriously who's gonna say he's going to evolve storytelling through someone else's story yeah I I, I don't think like I don't like think that's that the way to look of, at it. Yeah, exactly. You just said it. You sh- like, how can you go into it with that idea of like, oh, I'm gonna change the world with this thing? Like, I don't think Frank Herbert was going into it with that idea when he wrote Dude. You know, like that's a really kind of full of yourself way of thinking about. And your I think movie. Denise way, then, which is probably gonna it. be the. Oh yeah, you go ahead. Think about it. George Lucas comes out with Star Wars two years later, and that's essentially what Star Wars, like that first Star Wars movie, that's. Like, that's rubbing salt on Yodorovsky's wounds. Like he, Does he talk about that? I mean, credit to him, kind of. Credit to him. So what he takes credit for, like, even though the movie didn't get made, he what he takes credit for is the fact that he assembled a team that went on to go and revolutionize Hollywood. So guys that originally weren't really filmmakers or well-versed in filmmaking, he brought them together, inspired them to, like, yeah, let's make a movie together. Let's make Dune. And so, like, one of the guys, his name was H.R. Geiger. He's um, an oh, artist, like, a really famous artist. I know Geiger, man. Obviously, yeah. he's the okay, guy that great. designed the Xenovore for Alien. Yes, yes. He's the guy that is, exactly, very iconic artist. Um, You're kidding. Designer. Yeah, so he got Geiger originally, like, before Geiger was doing any Alien stuff, right? Um, and if you Google it, Cheney, if you, like, he, there's Geiger artwork of, like, Dune, of, like, what Geiger I remember Geiger hearing about has. this. Mm-hmm. It's remember, really interesting, oh, really trippy kind of what his what I kind of was like fond of when I watched the documentary. Of the movie was like he was going for a really, in his words, wanted to give you an LSD experience without taking LSD, um, which I don't know if that's Dune. I don't know if that's what like the story of Dune really kind of anchors on. But interesting take. I think like that's kind of weird and interesting. So the whole art, like all the artwork, all the designs are kind of anchored around this very lucid and trippy visual experience and that's how everything is designed and based off so he gets the guy he gets geiger who goes on to do aliens he gets the guy who wrote aliens um his name is o o'bannon brian o'bannon i think um he gets him to be the production designer on his dune movie dan o'brien yeah oh sorry dan o'bannon um, and then, so Dune, or this Dune flops, and he, all these guys are like, yeah, well, we have a lot of good ideas. Let's go on and make a movie. Okay. That movie becomes Alien. Oh, right? man. Yeah. Dude, that's crazy. Ridley Scott's Alien. That's crazy. Yeah. It's amazing. It's pretty, it's a really interesting thing because, you know, you if, if you don't have Alien, and Alien was Ridley Scott's, you know, crown achievement at that time. I still think uh, it's that's his best what movie. Leads him that's what leads him to Blade Runner, right? That's what gives him Blade Runner. And if you don't have Blade Runner, what you don't have a lot of other shit. It's fucking insane where this line goes. That so is a crazy I'll give him credit to that. Yeah, that's an it's an insane idea of what, what was going on there at that time. So, like, as far as influence goes, I, I'll give him credit to that. There's a lot of influence in his work. But I find it funny how what he failed to accomplish because he was so conscious and so kind of full of himself, like, only I can do this, only I'm going to do this. It was accomplished by some farm boy named George Lucas two years later, right? Complete opposite of cockiness than what this guy was. And he created Star Wars that's gone on to be Star Wars. Like, for me, like, that, there's no better 
behind the scenes filmmaking story. It's like you want to go in and make something like you want to subconsciously or whatever you want to change the world or you want to add some impact to it. It's like take the George Lucas approach, right? Like the guy was opposite of full of yourself. Like he was like, I, I read a George Lucas biography. I've watched a lot of documentaries on him. Like he was not a really self-confident guy and his whole story, like it really amazed me that this guy made a fucking universe, like a universe in film. Like I, I, not to not give credit to like uh, the guys that made like um, uh, what's his name Tolkien who made Lord of the Rings or um, the guy that made Dune who wrote Dune but I'm talking in cinema right like in film to use the language of cinema and to do the things that like books did or do sorry books that like a book like Lord of the Ring did and setting up a kind of generation off of that and what Dune has done George Lucas did that with film with a camera and a script and like at that point that was not done like you know like that was not a thing that was just i find it amazing it's one of my favorite kind of not it's not an, it's almost a metaphor it's it's just like a really interesting story you know where can i find this talk and it's um i'll send you the link there's a there's a website that i found that had a lot of free interesting documentaries okay um yeah, I'll send. I'll try and find it. And I'll send okay, it. Okay. It was some. Yeah, but it's a it's a worth watch for anybody kind of interested in 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 the stuff we're talking about or in movies that just aren't made or the the what ifs of the world. Like the, another point that this uh, this guy brought up was okay. So say this movie was made, right? So um, like he he was talking about how oh it's gonna be bigger than two thousand one Stanley Kubrick's two thousand one, which is like okay now you're talking about that. Like come on, uh, just tone it down and bring it down a couple notches man but he was he was like trying to do all those things that like you know how kubrick created the models of the spaceships and all the practical elements of how he shot the film like he was trying to he was trying to do that before star wars had done it so if you think about it right like do some people think and realize like dune to be it's what influenced star wars so in a way it's like bigger than star wars like it's like the it's like the literature root for something like Star Wars, right? Yeah. Um, and if it was adapted correctly, like what could Hollywood be like today? Like if Star Wars wasn't the first big blockbuster mega movie that like blew everybody's minds and, and kind of ideas of the world and stuff like that. If Dune became that movie, what would Hollywood look like today? That's a fascinating question to me. That is. Um, and before I move on, Oh, and another thing, just another thing. Okay, the point. go ahead. If the movie did, if the movie did come out, it would have been a twenty-hour movie. Okay, so there was, there's no way, it there could was have been no country. way. Yeah, okay. There was no way it was even gonna get made. Fuck that. The guy, guy was, dude. The guy was trying to write a bible, like a twenty-hour movie. And he said, "Yeah, people will watch it. People will watch it." Nobody's got Netflix. fucking time for that, man. Yeah, come on. Anyways, sounds like a, a really Zack interesting Snyder watch. Movie. I'm, I'm more into the Zack Snyder movies. I'll be honest with you, but. Yeah, so this I'll just say the name of this guy and the, what I'm talking about. So Alejandro Jodorowsky is the director's name. He made, or he sorry, he didn't make Dune. And the documentary that I'm referring to is called Jodorowsky's Dune. Um, and he's made a bunch of weird, really weird um, art experimental um, films. So I'm going to watch some of his films too, just to get a better... I'm, I'm fascinated by a filmmaker like him. I really am because like I am kind of on this path of wanting to figure out myself as a filmmaker and, and my own cinematic language and all those kind of things that the questions that are brought up in 
in in life of well, what do you want to be what do you want to do right and when i see a filmmaker i i started comparing him george lucas and to yodorovsky and i was like well there's a lot to learn when you look at two filmmakers like that and i i do want to learn from this guy because the way he kind of inspired people like with the film showed how he brought a team as influential and as big together that was like geiger and o'bannon and those guys I think there's something to learn from that. So I'm definitely going to watch more of Yodorovsky's films and potentially talk about it in future episodes. So, yeah. And from there, we can move on to our main discussion properly.